So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages four through third grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. As they're doing so, I certainly want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly. As you've noticed, unlike so many years, we don't pass the trays. But just for wisdom, we are in this place of giving you four other options in which you can give your contribution in our services. Let's take a look at that slide, Lauren, so they can see that. Um, you can, and so I can remember most of all, <laughs> you can mail your check to the church address. This is a great way to see your contribution. You can go online to our website. There is an easy on the homepage button there just to click on that, that button as well. You can give a draft through, an automatic draft through your bank, or you can, if you're here today in person, you can uh, make your contribution in the basket that's on the table there. For those of you that aren't with us, we certainly want to welcome you that are with us, with us by live streaming. You are just as, much a part, just as much a part of this family as those that are here, and it means a lot to us. We are honored that you're here. Let's all take our Bibles and turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. After a prayer, we're going to read today verses 30 through 37. Luke 10, 30. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand upon the foundation of our faith. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so we pray this simple prayer as we turn now to read your word. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love the way you love and do what you would do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 30, Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the other place and saw him, passed, on, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Last Monday, our nation commemorated Martin Luther King Day, and it was a wonderful day for us to, to celebrate the work of Dr. King against racism and segregation. But let's be honest, it was also a day to be reminded that now some six, nearly six decades later, there's still so much work that needs to be done. We see that's evidence of this everywhere. Dr. King's work helped to enact into law the Voting Rights Act of 1965, but in Congress right now, there is debate and fighting and division over another voting rights bill. 
King's work led to passing into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964, outlawing, and I quote from the law, discrimination by governments, public schools, and places of a public accommodation on a basis of race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. And though this law has now been in place for 57 years, there are some who still believe that systemic racism is still embedded in the very foundation of our nation. And we see unending news stories of riots and violence and protests and hurt showing us that we have a long way to go to see Dr. King's dream fulfilled. And so you ask, well, what can be done? What should be done? Can anything be done or is this just the way it's going to always be as long as there are two people living together on the earth? Where is the answer? Is the answer found with the Black Lives Movement and their, and, and their efforts? Is the answer found in educating our people and especially the younger generation and what is known of now as the, the critical race theory, the CRT as it is called, is an incredibly debated issue in our nation, filling our school board meetings with angry parents on both sides of the aisles. And I'm not talking simply about in New York or in California, but right here in the backyard of our school districts in El Paso County is the critical race theory nothing more than just teaching the truth of what really happened in history? Or is it creating a greater class distinction and racism, as some others will suggest. We hear a lot of valid criticism, Facebook posts or social media or in protest. And while you may have a lot of valid criticism, do you have a valid solution to racism? Because you see, it's one thing to cry out, this is wrong. But that must be followed with, and this is right. And as we struggle to figure out what is right, we really don't have to struggle because we have God in His Word who guides us by the light of His Word into what is right. And so here in this popular parable that I just read, a parable that's unique to the Gospel of Luke, we find what I am calling Jesus' critical race theory. It's Jesus' response to racism and what can be done. And I, I had this brilliant idea two weeks ago that I would do one sermon on racism in conjunction with Martin Luther King Day, but I feel, decided that was a little bit ambitious for me to take a topic that was so broad and so relevant from a passage that is, is so rich and do all that in one Sunday. And so I decided to at least stretch this into a three three Sunday series today being the second and if that just seems to be too long to you and if you don't like that well you're racist <laughs> that comment comes from the new playbook right you disagree with me uh you're racist so last week let's kind of review a little bit in part one of this mini series we looked at this conversation only that that Jesus had with a, a religious lawyer which set the stage 
for this incredible parable that I just read. And while typically our attention is so drawn to the man on the side of the road, to the priest, and to the Levite, and to the Samaritan, that's typically where we go and where we find our lessons. I want us to, to look at Jesus' laser focus in this story that was on this religious lawyer. He was the original hearer, and I want us to hear it as it was intended for him. Now, last week, as, as I shared with you, this, this man was not an honest lawyer. And as a matter of fact, I told a lawyer joke last week, and I gave Ron permission to come back next time he's here and tell a preacher joke. And here he was doing communion, and he was too gracious to me. What, what a fine example you are. Amen. <laughs> and he is. This guy was not an honest lawyer because he, he wasn't being sincere. He was trying to trap Jesus with a, a trick question. You ever had somebody do that with you to disprove his claim as the son of God? There's a similar story of, of Martin Luther, and this is the great Reformation leader in the 16th century. And it's actually Martin Luther King Jr. is named after this guy. He had a ton of critics like Jesus, and, and their efforts were also to bring him down. And one day Martin Luther was teaching and while he was teaching, there was, a, there was a hostile inquirer in the audience who had a question for Martin Luther, but he could understand or he sensed that this guy wasn't sincere. This was just a trap. And the question that was asked to Martin Luther, he said, well, what was God doing before he created the world? And Luther replied, he was making hell for people like you who ask stupid questions like that. <laughs> True story, evidently. Well, Jesus, Jesus is a bit gentler with this man who's bringing a trick question to him because Jesus' objective, as we're going to see in this parable today and next week, is, is with love to press into this man's heart to help him find what he thought he had but didn't, which is eternal life. That was the focus of this man's original question when he came to Jesus. And I think too often we conclude from this parable of the Good Samaritan that the point of the story is, well, it's, it's about the virtues of doing good to someone in need. And of course, that's there. And that's true. But seeing only that, I believe it can lead us to ignore a radical message on racial animosity that existed in this religious lawyer's heart that likely exists in many of our hearts today as well. So in order, in order to help us to understand Jesus' point of this parable, it's helpful to, to see the history, the historical context. It's no coincidence that the protagonist in this story is a Samaritan. Jesus could have could have just left this guy anonymous. Some man stopped on the side of the road. He could have identified him in any other way, but he intentionally identified this man as a Samaritan because this religious lawyer, like most good Jews of his day, they saw Samaritans as an inferior race. They hated them. And crazy enough, they felt justified in doing so. And so, in this masterful story that Jesus tells, the man who does something that is good is the man that this lawyer could never imagine in a million years that could do good. 
In their day, it wasn't black and white. It was Jew and Samaritan. And it was a a racial hate fest that has existed for some 700 years at least. If you know the history, the the Assyrians from the north invaded northern Israel and they they destroyed the country and they took the majority of people of of, of Israelites, the Jewish people, away into captivity. They left in the land in northern kingdom only the the poorest of the Jewish people. And then as typically a a conquering uh, nation would do, they repopulated the area with foreigners. And so you have these Jewish people, these poor Jewish people in the northern kingdom and these new foreigners who've repopulated the area and they began to get to know one another and they began to mix and they began to to intermarry and they became a people that according to the Jewish people of the southern kingdom that were impure because they were people of of half-breed or or mixed breed as as they would call them. They were an impure race, people of interracial families. It became known of as Samaritans living in the region known of as Samaria, a people that had a different set of beliefs and practices than the Jewish people of the South. I remember some years ago I I was at a church in Birmingham, Alabama, and there was a a guest speaker and he was there teaching on, on marriage. And so in his lesson, he moved into teaching on all of the different mistakes of interracial marriages. And he was making his points. And Karen remembers this. As he started making his points of why there should not be interracial marriages and why it's a mistake, there was a couple in the back, a black black man and a white girl. They were either dating very clearly or or they were married. And upon going into this, as the preacher did, the couple got up quickly, but they didn't leave. They walked down front. (laughs) Imagine this. They sat down on the front row for the remainder of his lesson. And Karen and I were going, (laughs) touche! What a message! What a message! I understand what we mean when we say interracial, but are we not all one race? As the Bible teaches in Acts 17, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the earth. Do we not all share the same father, not simply Adam, but also God? Is that not embedded into the foundation of the creation story? Where do we get off seeing anyone else as impure or inferior because of race? Wherever we get it from, it does not come from the word of God, which is absolutely ironic because this Jew religious lawyer who was with Jesus like this preacher in Birmingham this man was an expert in the word of God so he thought but he saw himself as superior to the inferior race of the
the Samaritans. And you just look at the history of it. You don't have, it's, it's also historically embedded in, into the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see that the, the, and I say this sarcastically, the good Bible-believing, church-going Jewish people of this man's day, when they would travel from Jerusalem, to the, from the southern area of Judea, and needed to make their way to Galilee, they wouldn't take the shortcut, the shortest route to Galilee, because if you did so, you'd have to go through the bad part of town. You know the part of town where the Samaritans live. You see this racial animosity is in John chapter 4 when Jesus is in Samaria and he's actually at a well and there's a Samaritan woman and he's engaged in conversation with her and he asks her for water and she's just flipping over the fact of that for many reasons, two of which is that he is a Jewish man, she is a Samaritan and he's speaking to her and secondly he's asking her for a drink and John in his commentary of that story says that doesn't happen. Jewish people do not speak to and associate with Samaritans. They don't drink from the same water fountain or hear the same well. You see it in John chapter 8 that, that there are these angry opponents of Jesus and to, to lash out against him, they say to him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? That was a, a, to call someone a Samaritan for the Jewish people, it was, it was a derogatory name shown here to be equivalent with being demonic. And so here in Luke, and our chapter is chapter 10 of this story, back up one chapter and you see this racial animosity among the Samaritans to the Jews as the Samaritans mistreated Jesus and the disciples. And so the disciples of Jesus, what do you do when you're mistreated? You fire back. You fight racism with racism. That solves it. They said, Jesus, bring down fire from heaven. And so it's in that setting in the very next chapter that Jesus identifies the good guy in the story as a Samaritan, which was just unthinkable. And look, it wasn't to get on this man's nerves. Oh, it was to get into his heart. That's where Jesus was pressing to break him free from his racial animosity. So next week, like I said, this is going to have to go at least one more Sunday. It may go two. We'll see how well I go with this week's preparation. We're going to return to this parable, and we're going to look at it verse by verse. It's incredible stuff that speaks into this concern. We'll look at that next week. I want us to take home from this story today three overarching principles, which I am calling... Jesus critical race theory this should be taught in schools in this school of our Sunday schools and to our children so the first thing first thing I want you to notice in, in Jesus critical race theory is why what I would call the comprehensive nature of races I don't know comprehensive that's not a real catchy word for a point but I couldn't do better than that all-encompassing you might say, nature of racism. Here, here's what I mean by that. When I'm looking at this story in Luke chapter 10 and understanding this history that I just described to you, I'm saying, good grief, what, what's going on in our world today? It was going on then, 2,000 years ago. This isn't something new and unique to us. And I say that because many 
who today in our nation work to fight racism, they are identifying the evil culprit of racism as America. With words such as also using white privilege and white supremacy, they're identifying the white American of today as the exclusive guilty party of racism and showing how racism is unidirectional, only going from one direction or one side to the other. Listen, if that is your belief, your scope is way too narrow, way too limited, and you have yet to touch a solution to the problem because it's much broader than that and such a belief in my estimation is doing nothing but adding fuel to the fire I remember once when I was in Baton Rouge Louisiana I went to a hospital to to visit and to to pray with a a black friend of mine who was in the hospital Dennis and he was about to have um, heart surgery and when I got to the waiting room, another preacher, a black preacher came, and he had also come to visit Dennis. We were not with Dennis because Dennis was in uh, surgery pre-op. And I was delighted. I thought, wonderful, we'll go in together and we'll go pray with this guy. And so as I said to him, let's go together and pray with this guy, he said to me, no, you stay here. These are my people. And I thought, they're not my people too? It's about this? And I don't know anything about discrimination compared to so many precious people who've been hurt by it. But I got just a taste of how it felt on that day. And I knew that preacher And I know that he carries with him hurt, most likely, especially living in southern Louisiana, if you know our history there. He carried with him racial discrimination that hurt in the past, and I assumed he's likely responding to me out of that. But responding to racism with racism, responding to evil with evil, is not the solution. It's only lowering yourself to the level of those who've hurt you. There's so much of that that's non-productive in moving us forward that we see. Now this is, listen, listen, this is in no way to excuse any forms of racism of those in our nation who are white. That's very real. But this story shows us And life history shows us this is not a problem unique to white America today. It's comprehensive throughout the world. It was going on as I read this story some 2,000 years ago and long before then in this story between these Jews and Samaritans and there was animosity not from one side to the other but it was from both sides. And you see it as you read the New Testament letters. It was, it was seeping sadly into the churches of the Gentile race and the Jewish race coming to Christ, coming into church but not truly changed and bringing their racial baggage into their church and treating one another one more superior to the other who was inferior and this was in in both directions of Gentile to the Jew and Jew to the Gentile 
Being married to Karen, I've learned how this has existed in Northern Ireland for countless years between religious people, Protestants, and Jew, uh, Protestants and Catholics. It's an unending struggle in the Middle East between the Arabs and the Israelis and even among the Arabs who take a stand against the Israelis, you see animosity between the Sunnis and the Shiites. And the history of the continent of Africa is incredibly sad. It's marked with ethnic hatred and violence, racial intolerance and slavery. One tribe coming against another tribe. Where is it not? When was it not? One of the most painful stories is in the nation of Rwanda. It's hardly not even the size of our state of, of uh, Maryland. Perhaps you remember the story of the genocide of hundreds of thousands of people due to an animosity between tribes there, the Tutsis and the Hutus. And I could go on for hours in history past and, and currently in our, in our world today. But clearly our story in Luke chapter 10, it reflects the comprehensive nature of racism throughout our world over the years. And so secondly, I believe that it reflects therefore the comprehensive nature of sin in our world. In James chapter 2, and I've given this to you in your life groups to, to further study because I'm not going to read it today. James boldly, boldly calls out racism in the church using the words favoritism and discrimination. But then he drives it home and calls it for what he is, what it is. He says, this is nothing short of sin right along the lines of murder and adultery. And as perhaps you've heard stated many times, this is not unique to me. The truth is, this is really not about skin. It's about sin. The skin problem is a symptom of the root problem of sin. The Bible clearly tells us that all of us have sin. Regardless of color, ethnicity, nationality, or social class. Therefore, none of us have the right to feel superior or to look down upon someone else as to them inferior. And I believe this is, this is what Jesus is trying to help this lawyer in this story to see. Look, you're no better than this Samaritan. As a matter of fact, you're worse than he is. I believe that as long as we focus only on sin, Skin, as long as we focus only on sin, we will never address the root problem of sin, which is the cause of the problems we see in our nation today, in our world. And so thirdly, it is this comprehensive nature of sin that reflects the comprehensive nature of the gospel. The only answer to our sin problem, which is the root cause of our skin problem, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I see this in the larger context in which this parable is placed here in the gospel of Luke. As I look at the overarching theme of Luke and I see how Luke is guiding everything to his crescendo, to his climactic point at the end of his gospel, 
We read in chapter 24 and verse 47 that Jesus is calling us, he's calling his followers to take the gospel to all nations. But that actually could be literally translated, and perhaps it should be literally translated, to take the gospel to all ethnicities, to all ethnic people groups. This is the comprehensive nature of the gospel due to the comprehensive nature of sin, that the Christ of our message must be taken to all people in all parts of the world. Church, that's the answer, which is ironic because it seems as though so many of the most vocal advocates for racial and social justice, even among those who are church-going Christians, they're not actively proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to lead people to faith in Him and to be baptized into Christ. And that's the solution. The Bible tells us. Read Ephesians. and Read Romans. The primary theme of these two rich books, the primary theme is grace and he's teaching on grace because of the racial and ethnic division in the churches in Rome and in Ephesus and in Ephesians and in Romans these two letters to these two churches he shows how it is in seeing God's grace extended to me though undeserving though an enemy of God, that I learn to see and treat all others with the same grace. I love Tony Evans, the preacher. And I recently heard him say these words in a sermon. The answer to race is grace. That's Jesus' critical race theory. We'll build on it further next week. But these are the three principles of, of, of Jesus' theory, which I, I draw from this story in Luke chapter 10. And I want you to notice as Jesus ended this conversation, notice his words. Go and think about it. <laughs> no. Go and do likewise. May this be for us something more than a theory. May it be the practical May it be the daily living of our lives. And may we as followers of Jesus be the solution with boldness and love by the way that we live and by the proclamation of the gospel to our world and to our city and to our lives of others. Be a solution that our world in darkness so desperately needs. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Father, there is so much more to say, but I'll leave it for there now and just ask that you would do what I ask at the beginning of this sermon, that you would take your living words, these God-breathed words, and let us breathe them in. And as we do so, may you feel every square inch of our inner being with your spirit and the truths of these words. In this quiet moment of prayer, we ask that you'd show us what you're saying to us individually. And as we, as we go into prayer with the song, if there's something that you're carrying on your heart that's a heavy burden, let's reach out to one another. Our shepherds are available for this time of prayer. Let's go into this prayer time now.
Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.